and welcome to the Farmers I Know podcast. I'm Carolyn Hershon. This is the show dedicated to conversations with the people that are growing food to nourish their communities. The farmers I know let their values on how the earth and people should be treated lead the way. Today's guest is Patrick Johnson. He owns a farm in Richmond, Virginia, and teaches permaculture. Patrick has a rich background in agriculture. He served in the Peace Corps, got his graduate degree from Cornell, and has been farming and teaching about farming for 30 years. I went down there to check out his food forest and talk about the techniques and ethics that he implements on his farm. Okay, my name is Patrick Johnson. I'm a certified permaculturalist, and I am the owner and operator of Nana Farm and Garden, which is a permaculture farming and education design business located in the greater Richmond region of Virginia. NANA stands for Neighborly Affiliations for Naturally Idealized Health is an acronym. It's also a Native American word, which uh, means uh, sacred place in several of the Southern uh, Native American uh, languages. So this farm was started in 2014 and I've been operating it as a farm since then. Um, could you talk to me a little bit more about your um, approach to farming and about permaculture for people that have never heard this term permaculture before? Well, permaculture is an ecological design system based on patterning your lifestyle as well as your uh, growing system after what you observe in nature. Um, it has three basic ethical principles. These principles are earth care, earth care, people care, and fair share, or an equitable use of resources. So that's what attracted me initially to permaculture was the ethics of it. Uh, you know, you have organic growers, of course, and you have uh, you know, you know, certified natural growing folks. You have regenerative agriculture. But the, the thing that I think sets permaculture apart from all those other type of ecological systems is that it has ethics, you know, and that you, if you are truly observing permaculture, you should be ethics driven. And I, I think that's missing a lot of times in our society today is, is that people have seem to have forgotten about the ethics in which their life should be based on. Yeah, I love that. And how did you, um, how did you get into farming? Like, what, what drew you to it? Well, I started a long time ago. Uh, you know, I, I was a Peace Corps volunteer, and I uh, served in the Philippines, and I was an agricultural volunteer. And, you know, when I got out of undergrad, I really didn't know very much about farming. You know, I had I had garden. Um, now, I was a, actually a, a park gardener as a summer job for a number of summers before I joined Peace Corps, but you know, that wasn't really agriculture, it's more horticulture and, and uh, you know, taking care of uh, ornamental plants. But you know, they said based on, you know, knowing something about plants, they, they uh, said I was qualified to do ag. So, and they gave me very extensive training when, I, when, I, when we got there. So I felt comfortable enough with what training I received to uh, you know, be able to talk to folks about uh, the aspects of agriculture, which I was trained in. And uh, some people followed what I wanted to learn what I, what I had to teach. And so, you know, I felt like I was effective in, in helping some people, you know, do some things in a different way that, that helped them. 
And after I got out of Peace Corps, I eventually went back to graduate school. I got a master's degree in international agri rural development from Cornell, which is an ag school. And then I went to the University of, of uh, California at Santa Cruz and was enrolled in their uh, agroecology apprenticeship program. So, you know, that's one of the, the foremost places in not only the United States, but in the world in terms of organic agriculture. So, so that's yeah. awesome. That's very cool. That's cool. What's one thing that you learned in your hands-on farming experience that you don't think you could have learned in a classroom? Each site is different. So you can't really come in with a template and say, this is gonna work, this is gonna work because it works in the book, you know? So, and that's what, again, that's another, one of the things that's so awesome about permaculture. That's what you should be doing. What you should do in, in a permaculture system is basically do observations. I mean, uh, the better and longer your observations can be, uh, the less likely your system is to fail. You know, so, so basically before I, I even start planting anything here, I did actually did some experiments, but you know, for the most part, before I start planting anything around here, I observe the patterns that I found on this piece of property in terms of uh, the natural patterns, you know, like how water flowed on the property, how how long it takes for this place to dry out once it's, it gets to the level where you see the water you know, on the surface. Um, you know, what kind of animals were around here and, you know, what were their patterns in terms of how they use the land. You know, sun orientation, how does the sun strike the property? You know, where where's the best sun angles? Where's the best place to to grow this particular thing or that particular thing, you know? Uh, so I tried to observe all those patterns. And, you know, again, it's part of the, the permaculture process is to, to make those observations and then take what you learn from those observations and actually apply it to uh, how you're designing your property and laying out your property. And then I wanted to ask you sort of the other side of that. Did you find there was anything that you learned in a classroom that you don't think that you would have been able to learn just from farming? Well, you know, I think, you know, things like soil science and, you know, biology and plant pathology and all that kind of stuff, which I took taking those type of classes. You know, it's 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 good to have that background in terms of you know how things interact and how things you know work from a technical standpoint. But you're not gonna really know how it relates to your particular situation until you actually get there and, and start doing it. You know, I teach permaculture at a university and I teach it privately. The things that I tell my students is that you know, I, I can teach you soil science, I can teach you that in the in the laboratory and in, in the classroom. But, you know, applying that and, and, and actually being a farmer, I mean, pl uh, farming is applied science. That's what it is. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's, it's a avocation, but it is applying science, too. So I tell my students that, you know, farmers have to be uh, hydrologists. They have to be soil scientists. They have to be biologists. They have to be carpenters. They have to be, you know, mechanics. <laughs> you know, you name, you name, if you name a profession, at some point, you're probably gonna use that skill on a farm. Even lawyers, like, you know, there are legal aspects to farming too that you have to be somewhat familiar with. You know, business, all the things that you have to do with business. Farming is a business. You know, farmers are some of the smartest people that I know. 
you know, if you ever meet a farmer, <laughs> especially a successful farmer, they're probably going to be some of the smartest people that you ever meet because they have, you have to be, and especially to be able to be successful in farming in this day and age, you know, where it's so critical that you have some technical expertise and that you, um, you know, that you know, you, you know a lot about business. Thanks for that. When it comes to teaching farming, because I know you said you work at a university, what do you think one thing that, like an expectation or an assumption that people have that come to learn about farming that doesn't really turn out to be the reality or something that surprises them about farming when they start learning about it? I think young people who go into farming, you know, they, they have a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of energy, and I've seen this play out time and time again. But they don't really have a realistic picture of the business of farming. If you can't sell what you produce, you can be the most productive person in the world. I mean, I could make this farm as productive as any farm in this region or, you know, in the country probably. But if I can't sell what I'm producing, what good is it? Right. You know, it's all gonna it's all gonna go to waste. You know, my time is basically wasted. And so, you know, you can't you can't out, you should not try to outproduce your market because there's a lot of competition. I mean, vegetable production, fruit and vegetable production has one of the lowest bars in terms of people getting into it in terms of how to make it, you know, as a business. All you need is some land and, you know, some labor and some seeds, <laughs> you know, and and you know, you can you can grow some vegetables and you can go out there and try to sell like a bunch of other people, you know. Yeah. But, you know, it's very intense. It's a lot more intensive than row crops. You know, sitting on a tractor or, you know, planting row after row of the same thing. A lot more intense than that. So it's, it's challenging, uh, especially trying to do what I'm doing. But uh, it is possible. But but it takes time to establish the markets. The markets are the key. Yeah. Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah. The next question I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the ethics behind permaculture. And I wanted to start, I want to talk both about the environmental ethics and also more like social ethics, but I want to start with environmental ethics and what role you think farmers have as far as environmental stewardship, caring for the land, the reciprocity that exists there between farmers and, and their land. That's probably one of the most important things that farmers should be thinking about, you know, because uh, without taking care of the land, of, of course, you're not going to have the profession that you say you love or, or care about because, you know, stewardship of the land is is, uh, is what makes farming possible. So, you know, that's at the heart of permaculture, earth care. You know, that's the first ethics that we learn about. Earth care and people care, really, those are two hand-in-hand -hand things, you know. Um, you know, the earth takes care of people and people take care of the earth. You know, so it's a partnership. And then, you know, once you're able to, to take care of the land and the land is productive and it gives you some give you something back, you should get something back. You know, that's the that's the fair share, the sharing of uh you know, the bounty that you have bought forth with you know the partnership that you have with the earth. So taking that and sharing it with other people. So that's the key, uh, in my opinion, to uh making this whole thing work. And so, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, I have this farm, this is a teaching farm. I hope to one day be able to open up more. I mean, I already do have people, I have my students come here. But I like to have more people coming through here to learn about permaculture, to learn about how you can live in harmony with nature. I mean, if you look at this place, you know, 
some people think, oh, this is this is that crazy guy over there. You know, he's growing food. I mean, I'm serious. I've had to, you know, deal with so much stuff from the county, county government, because of people, some people, well, not all of them, but there are some, all it takes is one, you know, but they can make your life hell. But, you know, I, I have done a lot of education with county officials and such. It's not going to look like this. It's going to look better and better as, as time goes on. And then the other thing is, it's ecologically based. Mm-hmm. So it's never going to look like your prim and perfect farm. You know, that's not what it is. I mean, it, it'll look better, but it's, but part of being with nature, really, no plant is a weed. You know, if, if, if you think hard enough about it, all plants have their use. The farm isn't likely what you would picture when you think of the word farm. The day I went, he warned me to wear boots, and I was glad I did, because there were five to six inches of water to wade through at times. There are some rows, but not a ton, and that's intentional. Patrick calls different parts of the property food forests, which basically means he's planting more like how you would find plants in a forest. There's a purpose to this. It just doesn't necessarily always look like it. Uh, what, what I had here initially was strawberries. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so this whole thing was covered in strawberries. So, so basically, i say for four years, it gave me decent, produ- good production on strawberries. Yeah. And then, you know, gradually over time, you know, these, this uh, honeysuckle came in, and, and basically I'm, I'm now starting to try to recapture it from the honeysuckle. Okay. And I'm getting ready to plant something else here. So basically, uh, I've already, like this was covered in honeysuckle right here in the middle. Yeah. And I already cleared that out. You know, it's, it's, it's now that's taken over. So basically that's like a cover crop now. So, uh. Is honeysuckle an invasive species? It will take over if you let it. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's, it's not a bad plant, but it's something they have to control. Yeah, for sure. So this little area right here, it's a little food forest. And uh, you know what was in it? So you can see some honeysuckles starting to creep in here. Yep. But uh, what's here is uh, there's an apple tree here. I just planted this apple tree oh, last great. year. Uh, there's a peach over there. Uh-huh. And there's a cornelian cherry right here. Amazing. So, uh, but anyway, all this this was this area. You can see this is a low line area. That's why the water is here, right? Yeah. And so basically, everything that you see that has elevation, I created. You know, by you know, putting in soil and compost and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I created here, because if I had planted these trees in what was here initially, the, the roots would drown. Because we have oh. a real, I have a, this is a, this land has a real high water table. Yeah. So, uh, so basically, I've had to build this. Basically, I've had to build this over. I, I bought this land in 2013, mm-hmm. and really started working on it in 2015. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, over the course of, what, six years, going on six years now, uh, I've been able to, you know, put these plants in and build the soil up to a point where I can grow some stuff now. But in this kind of growing system, you're not only thinking about one particular crop you're trying to grow in a certain space. You're thinking more holistically about the land, and alternatively about what use plants that may seem like pests could have. That uh, honeysuckle that I pointed out as is this you know, a challenging plant for me, it has a tremendous use. You know, it's, it's covering that soil. You know, so it's holding the soil in place, which is a good thing. You know, if it was bare soil, it, there would be erosion and I'd be losing the soil. Uh, and that's one of the, the biggest things that, one of the biggest challenges that 
we have as farmers is that a lot of farmers leave their soil during the winter time bare. And so soil is the biggest pollutant of our waterways. Soil is the biggest runoff, yeah, runoff from soil, not not chemicals. Uh, I know the chemicals are probably the baddest, but I mean, but soil is bad too. You know, you're getting topsoil that's running into our 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 fresh waterways. You know, and so that that's a serious problem. Could you tell me a little bit about who you're trying to feed with the food that you grow here? This was a this is a food desert. This 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 spot over here. One of the reasons why I chose to put this farm over here is because it's a food desert. You know, so, that, so it means that you basically can't walk and get fresh fruits or vegetables. You have to drive somewhere to get it. Okay, mm-hmm. and so that's what this is. You know, there's no grocery store or you know farmers market or food stand or fruit a fresh fruit vegetable stand in this particular uh, census tract. You know, within without driving there, you know? So that was the case until I moved here, you know? And uh, it's, so, it's, a, it's a shame because I was seven, I, was start, I started to sell vegetables from this place, you know, early on, you know, fairly like, like five, six years ago, you know? Mm-hmm. I had a little stand out front and I sold for one day and they, the county came and shut me down and they, they claimed that I need to have parking, off street parking. You know, it's, it's a logical, I guess that's reasonable. But, you know, you can see that, you know, the median out here in front of the farm is plenty of safe enough and wide enough that people could actually park there Absolutely. and not be in the street and not cause any problem, you know? I always ask about barriers that exist. And I know you've talked a little bit about some barriers that have existed as far as like infrastructure, the flooding that goes on sometimes. Um, are there any barriers that are specific to being a black farmer that you feel like you've experienced that may be a little different? Of course. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think I would have gotten nearly as much challenge in this neighborhood as I have. This is a mostly white neighborhood. I mean, there are yeah. some African-Americans that live here, but it's mostly white. So I don't think I would have got as nearly as much challenge in terms of, you know, what I'm doing if I had been a, a white person or, you know, a young white person doing this, you know, if I was you doing this, I don't think you would have got it nearly. I think you would have got some, I ain't gonna say you wouldn't have got any, but it wouldn't have been nearly as, as fierce as the kind of resistance that I've got. Yeah. And, you know, because I'm, I'm the big scary black guy, <laughs> you know, seriously. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm realistic about all this stuff. Um, so yeah, that, that, that makes, that makes it hard. It makes it hard. It's like, you know, when you walk through there, it's, it's challenging walking there, right? Through all that water, mm-hmm. you know, and mud and stuff. It, it makes it your, your treading harder. You know, it's harder to pick up your feet, right? When you're walking through mud, yeah. like trudging through mud. That's, that's the best way I can describe it. You know, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like going uphill, you know, uh, it, it's hard anyway, you know, especially to make something like this successful in terms of, you know, economics, you know, I think it's successful in terms of teaching, but, uh, but it's hard anyway, but, but it, 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 multi- it's a multiplier effect in terms of being an African-American or being a Hispanic or, you know, being some uh, other, uh, other in this society makes it more difficult. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I learned so much. 
Thank you for tuning in to this season of the Farmers I Know podcast. I hope you found the stories of these farmers thought-provoking and inspiring. This is just the beginning of the Farmers I Know podcast. We are growing. I am interviewing more farmers across the country and hopefully around the world in order to provide a platform for farmers to share their experience and highlight the importance of the agricultural sector as an agent for change. I want to get so much deeper into this issue and make it clear that the point of this is not to toss around trite language like regeneration and indigenous knowledge in broad theoretical terms, only really to skim the surface and give myself a pat on the back for this work. The point of this is to be as practical as possible. These are the people growing our food and facing the issues that come along with that every day, and this is what they think. And through this, I believe we can start to imagine a world where our food system is transformed into one that mitigates climate change, ends food apartheid, provides well-paying, meaningful work, and gives power back to people that have been stripped of it for far too long. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey.